Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody who I know cares about jersey numbers. So how do you feel about Teddy Two Gloves, aka Teddy Bridgewater, rocking 50 for the Detroit Lions? I mean, once I find out the reason why, I'm like, okay, it makes sense, because if you can't get any of the other numbers that you're technically supposed to wear, I guess it's cool that you can just rock a random number. But how do you think it looks? I mean, as a quarterback, it looks hideous, obviously, but he has no choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he doesn't have any choice, so I can't really knock him for that. But just watching their game, what was it, this past weekend, it was just such an eyesore to me, and it was bugging the crap out of me. But, I mean, who knows? Once roster cuts happen, if he makes the final 53, I'm sure he won't rock 50 going into the regular season. Um, but we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we're going to continue our tour of the NFL. We're going to break down the AFC and NFC South, as well as look at the NBA schedule. Um, they released the 2023-2024 schedule this past week. And in honor of the late, great Kobe Bean Bryant's birthday today, we are going to play our game Believable or Buffoonery and discuss whether or not Jimmy Butler is the closest player in the NBA to the all-time great. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out theexport.net. I repeat, theexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. Looking at some moves around the NFL, starting with the unexpected retirement. Um, it was announced earlier this week that veteran linebacker Miles Jack would be retiring from the NFL after seven seasons he had recently signed with the Eagles and kind of talked about how he kind of had to look at what life would be like if he didn't end up getting signed well it sounds like he's getting that opportunity now so congratulations to him wishing the best in his new endeavors and it'll be interesting to see because now it looks like a linebacker position has opened up for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, moving on to my Baltimore Ravens we have signed cornerback Ronald Darby and defensive end Jadavian Clowney to one-year deals respectively your favorite team has signed Jadavian Clowney. I've seen quite a bit of Jadavian Clowney over the last couple of years during his time with the Browns. What do you think of this move by Baltimore? Uh, I mean, it's a one-year deal, so it works. It could be – if he doesn't play up to the standard that you want, he won't be there next season. If he plays good, you could potentially maybe sign him to another one year. I think it's like a, it's a high risk, low, like, low reward type of thing where you might get a productive player. He might not be the pass rusher that you might not have looked for, but you still can get a productive player and you don't really got to pay him a lot of money. Yeah, how I look at it is solely as a run stopper. I mean, if we're looking at the pass, few years of Jadavian Clowney as an edge rusher, you're going to be disappointed. Whereas his run, stopping the run ability has still been fairly good. And so Baltimore, I mean, one of the things that we pride ourselves on with our defense is being able to stop the run. So it's a solid move. I would have preferred signing somebody else, but I mean, we could did need a veteran presence in that room, especially since we were unable to bring back Justin Houston, which I'm admittedly still kind of salty about. Um, so like you said, it's only a one-year deal, so I'm not too, too pressed by it, but I admittedly, Jadavian Clowney has like rubbed me the wrong way, like as a player and then just how things ended in Cleveland. I just hope he doesn't bring that same drama to Baltimore because we're not gonna put up with it. So we'll see how that all shakes out. 
But all right, let's go ahead and look at some injury news. Unfortunately, starting in Indianapolis, they're going to lose wide receiver and former All-Pro special teamer Ashton Doolin for the season after he suffered a torn ACL. And the Seahawks are going to have to wait to see rookie wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba for at least a month after he's had surgery on his wrist, which is leading to at least three to four weeks out of action. So sucks about that, but I think I told you this. I think that the Seahawks are still going to be okay without him on the field field um but what do you think do you think it's going to be a big a big blow not having him there yeah i don't think it will be because i mean they still have tyler Lockett, they still have dk like they basically still have the same receiving quarter they had last year and they did a really decent a really good job last season you just missed the plays that you might be able to get from um jay jay is in so I think that it's not that big of a blow, especially if he might be able to return like week two, week three. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal to me. Yeah, I don't think it's that deep either. I mean, and I think you just mentioned they still got DK, they still got Tyler Lockett. Both of them had productive seasons last year. I mean, yeah, I think they're going to be fine. But all right, let's go ahead and break down the AFC and NFC South. We're going to start off in the AFC, which features the Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Ethan's Tennessee Titans. Now, I am purposely not mentioning anything to do with the Colts because I work for the team and I don't want to get in trouble or provide any insight that I'm not supposed to. So I will just be talking about the three teams, but all the other teams for you, Ethan, are full go. So let's start off with what team do you think is the most underrated? Oh, it's easy. The Titans. Like, people are really, like, undervaluing the Titans. Like, I know they have injuries right now. But I sent you a graphic like last, I think it was earlier this week or last week, where people are projecting them to win like four games. And it's like, they have a good roster. They just don't have like superstars up and down and they don't have a dynamic quarterback, but they're a good team. Yeah, I agree. I think that one thing about Mike Vrabel is, like you said, the team isn't full of superstars or guys who are necessarily household names, but no matter what, they're going to compete. And so I do think they are getting disrespected in that way. Um, but I think I would say that the Texans are most underrated team. Like I know like if they traded their first round pick this past year to the Cardinals so they could get Will Anderson and people are speculating that the Cardinals might mess around and have back to back the first two picks of the draft. And I think people are kind of, I understand they got a brand new quarterback in CJ Stroud and there's going to be some kinks they have to work out. But looking at their roster, I think they have a shot to be pretty good, especially looking at what they can do on defense. I mean, specifically that secondary, you got Derek Singley there, Jalen Petrie, both of those guys had really really good rookie seasons Desmond King is still there he's been solid Steven Nelson you just brought in Jamie Ward and then up front Will Anderson who's been looking great throughout the preseason Jonathan Grenard has shown some flashes they signed Malik Collins just from top to bottom I think that this defense has a chance to be really really good and under D'Amico Ryans I'm not saying I think they're going to be a playoff team or anything but I do think that they deserve a bit more credit than what they've been getting in the past all right, what team do you think is the most overrated? I only, I really only think there's one option. The Jags. Yeah. Yeah, I would also – I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, no, I'm going to let you go, then I'll just finish. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say the Jags. I mean, obviously, I think they're the best team in the division. But I also think that as good as they are in their division, if I was co comparing them to the other powerhouses – of the conference, looking at a team like a Chiefs or the Bills or the Bengals, I think they there is a big gap between them 
and those upper echelon teams. Not to say that they're not going to be competitive, not to say that they're not going to win games, but I just don't think they're constructed presently. I don't think they have what it takes to overtake those other top contenders. Yeah, and not to mention, like, I know that they, they re, um, they're bringing in Calvin Ridley for his first season. But, like, they they also lost some key pieces in offseason that they didn't resign. And people just aren't talking about that. Like, I understand Trevor Lawrence is probably going to – he might take a leave, whatever. But this is a team that won their division being 9-8. and eight. Like, my Tennessee Titans, that were full of injuries – literally could have made the playoffs if they could have been healthy because they were only, what, two, two, three games behind them at seven and ten. So, yeah, I think the Jays just are supremely overrated. What losses are you mentioning, like along the offensive line? Because those are the only big losses I can think of. Yeah, offensive line, I think they lost a couple of guys on defense, too. They were like, like not big superstar name players, but like key like blue guy players on the defensive side of the ball. I can't think about no nobody defensively. Um they release uh Shaq Griffin, but everybody else is coming back. And then, but yeah, I mean Jawan Taylor, you're starting right tackle, he's gone, he's headed to Kansas City. Um, he's getting the bag. Cam Robinson is going to be suspended the first few games of the season. I know you guys drafted Anton Harrison in the first round, and you're asking a lot out of a rookie tackle. Um, but, yeah, I think that if their offensive line can't hold up, it's gonna, not really going to matter if you got Trevor Lawrence back there or Travis Etienne or Calvin Ridley on the outside because if you don't have time for your quarterback to make something shake, we've all seen your offense is going to go nowhere. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to who are our favorite players in the division. Uh, for me, it's only one answer, and it's one. Well, actually, it's two. Jeffrey Simmons and Derrick Henry. Yeah, I was actually – okay. Also, sorry, this came out of nowhere. In retirement news, former Titans wide receiver Corey Davis is retiring. That was random. Cool. That's super random. Yeah, I just opened Twitter and saw that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please continue. No, just, just Big Jeff and Derrick Henry. Like, I, Big Jeff is my favorite player in the NFL. Derrick Henry is my favorite offensive player in the NFL. That's fair. Uh, For me, I'm going D-Hop. I love me some D-Hop. And then you know I'm always going to throw an LSU player in when I can. So, Derrick Singley, I can't wait to see what he does this year. All right, what player do you feel like has the most to prove this season? Player well, I feel like has the most to prove. Um... I'm honestly going to say Trevor Lawrence. I I know that he took the lead last year, but like if people are putting him in the upper echelon of quarterbacks, and he only had he's only had like one really good season. I think he needs to have consecutive seasons for people even to consider him where they've been putting him. Um, and like to have him in the the realm where they're talking about like they could to make a run in the playoffs. Like, the dude only made, the dude only had one great season. And granted, it was his second year, but, like, it's only one. Whereas you got guys like Joe Burrow, uh, Josh Allen, as much as I don't like Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes, they've done it for years consecutively. I'm going to go with your quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, 
I understand they haven't used first-round picks on quarterbacks, but back-to-back years they've used a third-round pick and a second-round pick and traded up to get them, respectively. And I think that if you're a guy like Ryan Tannehill last year was terrible by all accounts the year before you had a rough ending to it and not to mention you're entering your mid-30s you're on the last year of your deal it seems like things are work are not working in your favor and so if you're Ryan Tannehill you have to have a big year because hey maybe this isn't your chance maybe you're not meant to stay with the Titans long term but at least you could another team could see you and want to bring you in kind of as a bridge guy and give you an opportunity to start as opposed to just being a backup but I think that if you're Ryan, again Ryan Tannehill I think that it's a lot of pressure on him just because I mean like I said you factor in the quarterbacks you factor in the wide receivers that he has or better yet to say that he does not have and just trying to make magic work because everybody still knows that this offense runs through Derrick Henry. Can Ryan Tannehill show that he can take over and lead a team to victory if Ryan, I mean Derrick Ryan, uh, Derrick Henry's not doing what he needs to do? We shall find out, but I think it's going to be a really really big year for him. Um what player do you think is going to break out this season? Uh, I'm trying to not be Titans heavy. <laughs> And I would say, nah, because he had a good year last year. I'm just, I'm just going to go with the obvious answer, Calvin Ridley. That's fair. Um, I'm going to go with wide receiver John Mechie. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, he was a first—I mean, he was a, a second or third round pick last year by the Texans. Unfortunately, he was unable to play due to a leukemia diagnosis. But it seems like he's good, he's healthy, and he's able to play this season. I mean, you look at the Texans wide receivers. There's nobody who really scares you. Robert Woods—I mean, he's been productive throughout his career, but he doesn't scare you. Nico Collins is a big body, doesn't scare you. Tank Dell—I liked him a lot coming out of Houston, doesn't scare you. Whereas I think that Mechie of those guys showed that explosiveness in college and I mean one could argue that when he was healthy he was a better overall wide receiver than Devontae Smith was back at Alabama and if he can kind of tap into that potential and be that guy and become a reliable target for CJ Stroud I think that he could have a really really big year um what who's your rookie of the year or what rookie do you think is going to dominate this division Will Anderson um I think a lot of a lot of the hype is going to be surrounded around CJ Stroud, but I think Will Anderson is going to be the guy that like dominates from the moment he touches the field. Yeah, I have CJ Stroud as well. I mean, I see CJ Stroud, Will Anderson as well. I was really trying not to do the obvious answer. But I love me some Will Anderson, and I think he's going to be really, really, really good. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. All right, what is your bold prediction for the AFC South? My bold prediction for the AFC South is um, I'm trying to stop being a homer, but it's hard. My bold prediction is that the Titans are going to win the division and the Jags are going to like, take a step back. Uh, my bold prediction is the Houston Texans have a top five pass defense in the league. I already kind of touched on some of the guys in their secondary. Sting, Steven Nelson, Jimmy Ward, Jalen Petrie, um, Desmond King. I think that they have a lot of potential to be a really good group, especially if their front seven can kind of provide some pressure, which I think that Will Anderson will be able to do. Um, and they're relying on other guys like Jonathan Grenard, other uh, D linemen there. I think that, again, 
not saying I think the Texans are going to win a whole bunch of games, but I think their secondary is going to wind up being really, really good. Um, you said you think the Titans win the division. I think it's the Jags division until I see differently. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NFC South, which is comprised of the Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints, Atlanta Falcons, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of those teams, which one do you think is the most underrated? Most underrated. It's weird, but I'm actually going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think it's weird because I think the same. I mean, Tom Brady, losing him is a massive blow. But, I mean, collectively, they're still bringing back a lot of really good players. Mike Evans is still back, uh, Chris Godwin, Tristan Wirfs, Levante David, Devin White, um, Antoine Winfield. Like, they're still bringing back a very good team. And literally, if Baker Mayfield can just do enough, they could make a run for a wild card spot, if not maybe even the division. So, yeah, I would agree with you about the Bucks. Who do you think is the most overrated team? Again, we are in agreement. I also have the Falcons because you mentioned B. John Robinson, which is totally fair that people are excited for him. I love me some Calais Campbell. I'm going to miss him in Baltimore, but he's there. Um, you know, they Falcons, they brought in Jeff Akuda, who was trying to have a bounce back, gave Jesse Bates a lot of money to be their uh, free safety. But at the end of the day, it comes down to your quarterback. I don't trust Desmond Ritter. I love Tyler Algier. I think he's really, really good. I think B. John Robinson's really good, and then Cordell Patterson is just a weapon. But at the end of the day, you still have to be able to make throws, and I just don't trust that Desmond Ritter can do that, especially because when you look at what the team has done in the offseason, it's been very defensive heavy, but they still don't really have any weapons. Drake London had a really good rookie season. I'm sure they're expecting a bounce-back year from Kyle Pitts. But who else do you trust to get the ball out to? I mean, that's it. Exactly. And I know they brought in Jonu Smith. I don't know how much Jonu Smith is actually going to do, but just I'm not that inspired by their weapons um, overall. So I think that the Falcons, while on paper, they look like a much improved team for last year. I'm still not buying the hype. Um, who are your favorite players in the NFC South? Favorite players in the NFC South. I, I actually have more than I thought. Uh, starting out, number one is Vita Vale. Uh, going with the Tampa Bay thing, Levante Davis. I actually do like Devin White. Demario Davis, Cam Jordan. Uh, yeah, it's a whole slew of guys in the uh, NFC South that I actually am fans of feel that I I mean I think I've had the same answer for the past few years now but it's the tandem of Devin White and Levante David they're my favorite linebacker tandem in the league I'm sorry Roquan and PQ I still love y'all but they were here first and I love them I think that they're incredibly talented and I think they're starting to become underrated 
because they've been doing what Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw did last year. They've been doing that for years. They're just not getting their flowers for it. And then, obviously, I love me some Honey Badger, um, huge Tyron Matthew fan. And then Calais Campbell, just another guy that I, I love me some. Loved him in Baltimore. All right, what player do you think is facing a prove-it year? We might have the same answer. Uh, I think it's two guys. The first guy I'm going to say is the guy that you mentioned for the Falcons, Desmond Ritter. Like, I get you came in last season, you're a rookie. You came in to replace Marcus Mariota. But, like, if the Falcons are trying to make the strides that they want to make, like, if you don't perform this season, you could look up, especially with you being a rookie, and it won't cost them that much to, like, potentially lose you. You can look up and you can be gone. And also, the other person I'm going to say is Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, okay, so we 0 for 3. I almost said Baker, but Baker kind of felt like a cop-out answer. I'm going to say Michael Thomas. When uh, when, he, when he wasn't on the field, he was still doing a lot of drawing, talking like he was a top wide receiver who, again, we haven't really seen be productive in over two years. And so I think that because of that, if you're Derek Carr, you look at what you have in New Orleans and you're inspired. And if you can get 2019, Michael Thomas, hell yeah, Michael Thomas was the man. But if Michael Thomas kind of goes back to what he was before he ended up getting hurt and missing significant time, it, we're going to look up. And not only is Michael Thomas not going to be on the Saints, but he might not even go to a team as their third, second or third best wide receiver. And so I think that this is going to be a huge year for him to show, hey, I can still play. Um, my injuries are behind me. Because if not, he the NFL will forget you quickly. And I think that another bad year, even if he is healthy, is going to be detrimental to him and his legacy. But I, uh, who do you think is going to break out this season? Who do I think is going to break out? Uh, can I say Kyle Pitts? Yeah, because I don't think his rookie year was as amazing as people make it out to be. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts because I, I know they have Drake Drake London. But in my opinion, when you're when you're a dynamic tight end, like it's just so much more easier to get you the ball because you're working in the middle of the field. Tight ends, in my opinion, are typically when you're dynamic, you're more likely to get open because you're going up against guys that are either too slow or too small. Um, I'm going to go with defensive end Peyton Turner. For those of you who don't know who Peyton Turner is, it's okay. A lot of people don't outside of the Saints. Um, he was drafted out of Houston in the first round of, was that last year's draft, I believe, and did not do much. However, this year he's had a pretty good training camp, looked good in the preseason, and Marcus Davenport is no longer there, which is going to create an opportunity for him to start on the outside um, parallel to Cam Jordan. And I think that if he's able to kind of build on what he's been able to do in training camp and just kind of take some of the lessons he's learned from Jordan and some of the other veterans around him, I think that he can mess around and be a really, really nice uh, second edge rusher for the Saints something that they really do need because as great as Cam Jordan is, you can only ask so much from one person. So I think that he could really kind of make himself a wide, wider name or at least a more recognized name with the big year this season. But all right, um, what is your uh, – I'm sorry, I can't even talk. Rookie, who, what rookie do you think is going to blossom in the division this year? I don't, I don't want to say the obvious answer, but I'm going to say it. 
That's fair. I'm going to go with wide receiver Jonathan Mingo for the Carolina Panthers. I know Bryce Young, first overall pick, he's going to get all the attention. Totally understandable. But I think that with when you look at the receiving core for the Carolina Panthers, Adam Thielen is great, but I don't know if he's truly a number one option anymore. And I think that when you look at this receiving core, uh, DJ Chark, who I saw had gotten hurt, no timetable on how serious that is. Um, Terrace Marshall has been there, but he hasn't really broken through yet. I think that Jonathan Mingo could be a guy who becomes, again, a favorite target for Bryce Young and really start making some magic happen. Because, I mean, we saw at Ole Miss, he has the size, he had the speed, he has the strength. If you can kind of combine all of that into the NFL level, I think he could be pretty, pretty good. But I, what is your bold prediction for the NFC South? Bold prediction. Um, Cam Hayward's going to win defensive player. I mean, not Cam Hayward. Cam Jones going to win defensive player of the year. That'd be impressive because he's, what, 33 now? 34? Something like that. That'd be impressive. Uh, my bold prediction is it's also Saints-related. I think that if the Saints stay healthy, I think that they make a really deep – they make a potentially deep playoff run and come up just short in the NFC Championship game. Don't ask me who they lose to, but I think they legitimately have a chance to make it there if they can keep everybody healthy. Um, I got the Saints winning the division. What about you? Sorry. All right, bet. Let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery, and it's coming out of Indianapolis. Now, a few weeks ago, we kind of talked about the potential of Jonathan Taylor being traded. Colts owner Jim Ursay says, we're not going to do it. Him and his age, him and Jonathan Taylor's agent going back and forth on Twitter. However, it seems like a resolution could potentially be on the way after it came out that the team has given uh, Jonathan Taylor permission to seek a trade um, and allow conversations to help him find a potential landing spot. But the caveat is it seems that the Colts want a pretty hefty price in return. Reportedly, the Colts want a first-round pick or a combination of picks that equal a first for Jonathan Taylor. While I don't dispute that there is interest out there for the young back, I think the asking price could be a deterrent. So, believable or buffoonery, Jonathan Taylor will be traded before the start of the season. Uh, before I answer, what was, what was the... Uh let me look that up christian mccaffrey was traded for a second round pick third round pick and a fourth round pick um and the 49ers also uh sent a fifth round pick for the 2024 draft okay so from that standpoint if they're asking for a first it's not gonna happen because christian mccaffrey went healthy and he showed last season when he got, especially when he got traded to the 49ers, he was the best running back in the league last year. And that's what they got for him. There's no way you're going to get more than that. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, because at some point they're going to realize they're not going to get what they want. They're not going to get what they're asking. Then somebody's going to give them something that's comparable enough to make them move. Fair. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NFC and talking some quarterbacks. And I understand the Justin Fields, like, fantasy hype. 
I get it. He had a good year. However, there have been some real interesting comments made on his behalf. Uh, this one coming from former Packers wide receiver James Jones saying, It's disrespectful to Justin Fields to compare him to Jalen Hurts. Fields' arm talent is better. He's faster, more explosive. explosive. His run talent is better than Hurts. So, believable or buffoonery? Justin Fields is more talented than Jalen Hurts. So I'm gonna split I'm gonna say buffoonery, but this is why. I agree. I do think that Justin Fields is a more dynamic runner than Jalen Hurts. I disagree and think that he has a better arm than Jalen Hurts. Agree. Jalen Hurts made throws last season, and it's like, bro, you put it where only your guy can get it. Justin Fields, you can have a big arm, but if you don't have accuracy, that means nothing to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say buffoonery just because I do think that Jalen Hurts is a better thrower than Justin Fields. I would agree with that. I think you pretty much broke it up pretty well. I mean, it's kind of like uh, Ryan Clark recently said. They said Jordan Pickens was more talented than Justin Jefferson. I don't disagree with that. I think that's true, but does that mean that uh, George Pickens is better than Jay Jettis? Absolutely not. And it's kind of the same situation with Justin Fields. I feel like he's more likely to give you an explosive play, but if I want consistency, if I want somebody who I know is going to do the job right, Give me Jalen Hurts any day of the week. And while it's cool to see quarterbacks run, I'm a Ravens fan, I see it all the time. Personally, I'd rather have somebody who can complete a throw on third and ten than somebody who can scramble out of the pocket and give me five, six yards. Like, give me a more reliable passer any day of the week. So, yeah, I am calling buffoonery as well, but I can understand where it's coming from. All right, last question. This isn't exactly believable or buffoonery. It's just more so... Uh, interesting question of friendly competition so as we all know Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase college teammates at LSU brought us a national championship and have maintained their friendship to this day also uh, last week or so it came out that they were filming a commercial together uh, Justin Jefferson talked about the bond that he had with his main man Jamar Chase but said I definitely think I'm gonna have a better season than him he was speaking in terms of fantasy but let's just say in general who do you think has a better year this year, Jay Jettas or Jamar Chase, assuming they're both healthy? Um, I'm picking Jay Jettas simply because when you look at Cincinnati, Cincinnati has multiple weapons. Like they have Tyler Boyd, they have Jamar, they have T. Higgins. So you have multiple guys you get the ball to. Like right now in Minnesota, like I know they drafted Jordan Addison, but we don't know what he's gonna look like in the NFL. But like on the offense right now, the dude is Jay Dillis. Like, and I can mess around and see him being like the way Cooper Cope was a couple years ago when you looked up and every time Matthew Stafford dropped back to pass, he only threw it to Cooper Cope. I can see the same thing with Kirk Cousins. It's like, hey, Jeffy, Jay Dillis is down there somewhere. So I'm gonna have to say Jay Dillis. I'm gonna say Jay Jettis too. Because um, like you said, I think there's more mouths to feed in Cincinnati. It's clear that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are like this. But, again, you got to feed T. Higgins, who is also great. You got Tyler Boyd in the slot. 
Um, you got to get passes out in the backfield to Joe Mixon. Um, so because of that, I'm not totally sure. Uh, I think Jamar Chase still tops well over 1,000 yards. Don't get twisted. But Jay Jettas, like you mentioned, I mean, he's obviously the guy. I love me some TJ Hawkinson, but if I had to pick between Jay Jettas and TJ Hawkinson, I'm getting the ball to Jay Jettas every time. Uh, so, yeah, I think Jay Jettas has the better season. All right, one last thing before we move on to the NBA. Final week of preseason games. First two games of the week are coming tomorrow. It's going to be the uh, Indianapolis Colts versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And then it's going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Atlanta Falcons. But final week of the preseason going to be big, big competition for those guys on the roster bubble. So for you, what games or storylines are you most looking forward to this weekend? Um, guys, you mentioned one, the Indianapolis Colts versus the Eagles. Um... Just because, like, they named, and I know you can't speak on these, but the coach named Anthony Richardson a starting quarterback, and then the following preseason game after naming him that he didn't play. Um, and in my opinion, Anthony Richardson isn't developed enough to the point where he can sit out preseason games. So if he does play, I think it'll just be interesting to see what he does, especially now knowing that he's in the starting two QB role. Um, the other one that I'm thinking about is, Whoever the 49ers play, because today it came out that let me see who they play. The uh, the 49ers play the Chargers. So today it came out that Sam Donald officially solidified the backup QB role in San Fran. So for me, it's going to be interesting to see like, okay, what is if they're going to give any run to Trey Lance, and if they do, what does he look like? Because now. If they solidify Sam Darner as a backup to Brock Purdy, and Brock Purdy solidified as a starter, now we straight lands. What is somebody going to make a trade and try to bring him in to their quarterback room? And if so, is he going to have any good tape from this last preseason game from the go by? Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see. Um, I can kind of speak on the Anthony Richardson bit. Uh, neither the Bears or the uh, Colts play majority of their starters. We too. Um, Coach Steichen, this is public record, so I'm not breaking anything. He just said that he felt like they got a lot of work during joint practices, so he didn't really need to see um, the starters. But Anthony Richardson and starters are going to be playing on uh, on Thursday. It'll be case by case how much they do play, but they are going to play. Um, for me, I'm interested in that game just because I want to see how the Colts' offensive line stacks up against the Eagles' offensive line. I think that will be a fun one to watch because, I mean, you've heard so much good stuff about Jalen Carter um, and then Nolan Smith as well. I want to just see how they look in this final preseason game because realistically we don't know how much playing time they're going to get in the regular season. So this is their time to shine and get a lot of reps. So I want to see how they take advantage of that. Um, And then I would also throw a bone to the Raiders versus Cowboys game. I think both teams have rookies that have kind of been impressing people. I mean, for the Raiders, it's Aiden O'Connell, the backup quarterback. I want to see if he can have another big game. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the week one starter, but we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo before. We know that injuries have plagued him throughout his entire career, so I wonder if him getting all these reps, speaking of O'Connell, is going to help lead him into the regular season when he's eventually going to play. And then also I want to see what Deuce Vaughn does. I mean, 5-5 doesn't matter. He's been making big plays, making guys miss all training camp and preseason, so I just want to see him do it again um, against the Raiders. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting off with some interesting news coming out of New York. Um, it was announced that the Knicks are alleging that a former employee illegally took thousands of proprietary uh, files with him to his new position with the Raptors. The suit alleges that materials included play frequency reports, a prep book for the 2022-2023 season, and video scouting. So essentially what this is saying is the New York Knicks are suing this uh, former employee and the Toronto Raptors, essentially because they're saying that they're trying to steal plays and steal information. This might, maybe I'm tripping. I don't know if this is exactly like the Raptors who told this man to steal, but I don't think, I think stuff like this probably happens all the time, just not to this scale. Yeah. And also, like, just in my opinion, like, in basketball, when you're talking about, like, play frequency and stuff like that, like, in today's NBA, you don't really see a lot of set plays being ran anyway. Yeah. Like, you might you might see a couple here and there, but when you have, like, especially when you look at the New York Knicks and their personnel, like, it's either going to be, you're going to get the ball to Julius Randle and it's going to be some form of an ISO, or you're going to get, or Jalen Brunson was going to have the ball and it's going to be a pick and roll. And, like, this is, like, this is the focal point of your offense. I get it from a standpoint of like, hey, they took my, they took our information, so we have to do, we have to take legal action. But it's, it's, and it's also like, bro, no offense to the Knicks, but y'all ain't, like, it's not like y'all was just gonna, it'll be, in my mind, it'll be different if it was like the Warriors or like a team that had like a legit playoff, I mean, it's like NBA Finals chances, but y'all don't. Yeah. And I think, like, plays in basketball is kind of different than, like, if you were stealing plays in football. I think that's more impactful because if a defensive coordinator gets the offensive playbook for another team, they could literally destroy everything they want to do. Whereas basketball, like you said, a lot of teams are kind of running the same variations of the same plays. Or in the case of the Knicks, we know a lot of the times the ball is going to end up in the hands of Jalen Brunson. So the Raptors could know what you want to run or know your playbook and the frequency but essentially, it don't matter if you don't make the shot. So I just, I, not to say it's not a big deal and that, you know, the dude was wrong, the employee was wrong for providing confidential information to the Raptors, but it's like, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think the Raptors are all of a sudden going to ride this to a trip to the finals. I don't think it's that deep. But... Before we even get to the finals, we got to get to the season opener, which is going to be coming up pretty soon in less than two months. The NBA season is going to tip off starting on Tuesday, October 24th. The NBA released its schedule for the year for all 30 teams around the league. And as we do every year, we're going to break down some of the biggest matchups. So let's go ahead and start off with what we believe is the best opening week matchup. You can go first. Best opening week matchup. Um, or at least the one we're most looking forward to watching. Obviously, for me, outside of the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, I'm probably going to say I might throw the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors out there just because, like, it's going to be the first time seeing KD, Bradley Bill, and Devin Booker all in uniform, all on the same court. And then it's like you think you're going to get a chance to see what the Warriors look like. Um, like with the addition of Chris Paul and the subtraction of Jordan Poole. And 
Yeah, I actually almost said that game, but I have the Suns like for another answer coming up, so I'll let it ride. Um, I said for me, I'm most looking forward to the Knicks and Pelicans matchup October 28th. Mainly, I want to see Zion. This offseason has been so much drama, so much shenanigans. You forget the brother even plays basketball. And, I mean, you factor that in and the fact that he barely played last year despite having a really, really good start to the season. So, I just want to see what he looks like. And I think that this year is going to be really, really big for him because if he doesn't produce or if injuries continue to plague him, I can see New Orleans shipping him out. So, I want to see what he looks like under the bright lights. And I think that the Knicks overall are a good enough team to where it should be a competitive game. Um, all right, most exciting Christmas game matchup. Oh. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, for me, I'm gonna say the Warriors versus Nuggets. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors look like. I just they were able to bring back, you know, the dynamic group. You got Steph, you still got Clay, you got um Draymond there, then you bring in CP three. I still I just wanna see how they match up against the Nuggets because at the end of the day, you can bring back that great backcourt. But if you don't got nobody who can stop Nikola Jokic, which they still don't, it's going to be a rough night. So I'm just interested to see how both teams are looking at that point of the season. Have teams been able to figure them out defensively? Um, and then just kind of see how it all comes together on Christmas. All right, rivalry week. What game during that week are you excited for? Um, what teams are playing in rivalry? I can send it to you. I'm going to say the Suns and Mavericks. Personally, I don't really think it's a rivalry game. But, I mean, you know, whatever. They got ties to each other. Um, I One, I want to see if Kyrie and Luka are actually healthy and actually playing. That's number one. Because I'm still not sold on that duo really doing too much damage. Um, or at least, like, in the long-term, like, playoff race. But it'll still be interesting to see how their styles can mesh and then going up against, you know, that trifecta of KD, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. Like you said earlier, I can't wait to see what Bradley Beal does in Phoenix. And so I just want to see how those two teams go at it because um, it'll be very interesting, especially because I'm not going to lie, I forgot to this moment, the Suns have a new head coach. <laughs> so I'm very interested to see how they look um, – this new team looks, do they have more of an emphasis on defense? What is DeAndre Aiden doing? Like, very interesting to see how Frank Vogel gets this team right by uh, late January. All right, speaking of January games, MLK Day slate has also been released. I feel like we're probably going to say the same game, but which of those four games are you uh, most excited for? There's his voice. Yeah. Going to this game, 
the fact that it's at six instead of like in the middle of the day is gonna be great for me personally because I went to the one last last season and they played the Bulls and it was like two o'clock mm-hmm. and I was like it was it, it was good from a standpoint like you're not out all night but it's also like bro it's just weird going to a basketball game like in the middle of the day. It was, yeah, I feel that. Cause actually, my first NBA game I went to was the Lakers and Grizzlies MLK game of like 2018, I think, and it was like a midday game. So yeah, it is very weird. It's so much, especially like being on bill. Like if I'm going to a game, I'm probably gonna hit a bill afterwards. It's weird going to bill during the middle of the day, or at least it is for me. Um, so yeah, but I agree with you, Grizzlies and Warriors. Not to say the other matchups can't be intriguing. I just think that that's the one that has my attention the most. All right. Um, last but not least, um, they also released the teams that have the most and the fewest primetime games. So looking at the list, let's start off with the most. What team do you think has too many primetime games? Um, looking at the off the top of my head, I'm going to say the Mavericks and the Knicks. That's fair. I'm going to say the 76ers, and I'm going to get to that like when we do our bold predictions, why I feel that way, but I'm going to say 76ers. Um, all right, what team do you think has too few uh, primetime games? Um, out of the ones listed, I probably, I'm going to say the Nuggets. Like, they just won, I know they are like a 60 team, but they just won the NBA championship. And the fact that they have 11 career games in the Warriors, like, they're balling Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, like, I'm looking at the list of, like, the bottom. I'm going to say the Bulls only having seven. I could also probably say Pacers at six. No, I'll say Bulls just because it's very likely that they're going to make some big trades and the roster is going to look very different um, than it does right now. But, I mean, the Bulls have still been a competitive team, and we've seen periods where Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan kind of get on hot streaks, and they have the Bulls looking like a top-five team in the Eastern Conference. As we all know, it doesn't exactly last, but the fact that they only have seven primetime games is it's kind of it's lame to me. But, all right, bold predictions. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, what is your bold prediction? My bold prediction is, Mine is similar to that. Um, Mine is the 76ers make the playoffs, but solely as a play-in team. Um, It's just been so much drama that, like, I don't really know what happens with James Harden, but even if he was to still be there, I'm not totally sold on Joel Embiid, like, being there past this season. And maybe I'm just a pessimist. Maybe I've bought into the – culture of players just leaving when they're losing I don't know maybe I'm the problem but I just have a hard time believing that this 76ers teams as presently constructed is going to last and I could see Joel Embiid possibly forcing his way out of there or maybe James Harden and Joel Embiid are out of there and so I think they could get a good enough start to the season to like make the play make into into the play-in but I'm not sold on them being this top uh top seed in the Eastern Conference like we've seen over the past few years. All right, what is your bold prediction for the Western Conference? Bold prediction for the Western Conference. Um, Pending injury, when John Moran returns, he's going to be an all-NBA point guard. 
can he technically be one since he's missing 25 games? I think you only have to play. You only have to play 75. So if you miss 25 out of 82. No, yeah, games, he wouldn't make it. Yeah, he wouldn't make it. Never mind. Uh, if that's the case, I'm still gonna go address this related. Jaren Jackson gonna win back to back defensive player of the year. That'd be dope. Mine is Grizzlies related as well. I think that even with John Morant being out for those first 25 games of the season, I think the Grizzlies are still at least a top three seed by the time John returns. I think people are often forgetting how good of a coach that Taylor Jenkins is and just how good this team works together even when Ja is not in the fold. I mean, yes, Dylan, Dylan Brooks is gone, but, I mean, you bring in Marcus Spart, who I think is going to be really productive. Jaron Jackson, like you mentioned, reigning defensive player of the year. They have talent on this team, and, of course, Desmond Bain. I think that they have enough talent to kind of keep them afloat until Ja Morant gets back because, as we all know, the first – couple of months of the season, it's kind of a feeling out period. Things don't really start getting serious until after uh, the All-Star break. And so because of that, I think that the Grizzlies, because they had, they're not one of these teams that's trying to bring in all these new people and get everybody comfortable and acclimated. They know what this core group can do together. I think that's going to pay really big dividends um, for the first couple of games, I mean, a couple dozen games of the season before Ja gets back. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or buffoonery. Uh, recently, Steph Curry was on Gilbert Arena's podcast, and he was asked if he was the greatest point guard of all time, to which he said he was. He also added, yes, it's me and Magic. That's the conversation. Personally, I still will go Magic as the greatest point guard, but, I mean, it's a healthy debate. But believable or buffoonery, Steph Curry and Magic Johnson are the only acceptable answers as the greatest point guards of all time. It pains me to say, but it's one other person that you can throw into that list, into that conversation. John Stockton. Okay, yeah, I was going. That was my only other guess. Like he's the only, he's the only other person that I can think of. Like he literally has the all-time like, oh. record lead for assists, and it's and nobody's gotten close to it. So you got to throw him in that conversation. It's tough because John Stockton is amazing, but would you put him on the same level as Steph and Magic? Because I wouldn't. I mean, it just depends on what you think, what you're looking at. Because to me, I like, and this is one probably one of the bigger hot takes I've ever had. Like, Magic was good, but I don't think he was like the greatest point guard of all time. That's fair. For one, it is, a lot of it is just the, the basketball fan in me. Like, I can't consider a guy that, like, I've seen, like, Magic game, like, gang, like, watch those games, watch Magic highlights. Magic can't dribble with his left hand. Like, all his highlights, he runs up the court with his right hand and make a pass. I can't consider somebody that can't dribble with his, with his off hand. It's like one of, it's like the greatest player in a position when you need both when you're a ball handling. It's just hard for me to do it. So I get it. I also think it's harder, it's easier for like people to go to magic accomplishments. Like outside of the, the NBA championships, every other accomplishment is like, bro, people literally just voted for the same people over and over. 
Like, you look at, in the case of Jordan, like, Jordan got all those accolades because everybody was voting for Jordan. Then you look at today's NBA, like, people get tired, like, these voters fatigue where people don't get nearly as many accolades as they probably should have. So, but I, yeah, but I don't, I don't view John Stockton on the tier as magic and stuff, but I think he could be in that conversation just solely based on, like, his, his stats from an overall standpoint. I'm going to say believable about Steph and Magic. No disrespect to John Stockton, but again, that pretty much is what it comes down to. If you wouldn't put them on the tier of Steph and Magic, regardless of how you rank them, yeah. Like, I, again, John Stockton was great, but, I mean, he was a terrific passer, one of the best distributors, if not the best that the league has ever seen. You take that away from his game, what do you have? So, because of that, I'm going to say it's believable. I mean, the only argument to that is you can say that about, you can break it down to Magic and Steph. If you take away threes from Steph, what do you have? I think, Ma- I think in the case of Magic, he was more of a jack-of-all-trades. Like, I don't think there was anything that Magic was the greatest in. He could just do everything. Now, Steph, 100%. You take threes away, what do you have? But I would still say Steph's superpower, his ability to shoot threes, has been more impactful than John Stockton's ability to distribute the ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, because Steph is, in my opinion, one of the top five most influential players in the game. 100%. I just think, like, if you're looking at it from, like, oh, if you take away – Magic could still hoop if you take away that ability because, like I said, I mean, I'm more of a jack of all trades. But I feel you. I mean, Steph, like I said, you take away his three-point ability. Who is Steph Curry? But I still think he could give you more. This is purely hypothetical. I still feel like he could give you more than John Stockton would if you took away his passing ability. That's, so that's why I would still, still give Steph the nod even if, you know, you took it away. But, yeah. You saying buffoonery, I'm saying believable. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some guys who had some great ability, but coming off the bench may stop them from getting the accolades that they deserve. Uh, recently, um, Lou, Lou Will told TMZ Sports uh, that he believes he is a Hall of Famer as well as Jamal Crawford. He said, I definitely think we all are ha- we all are Hall of Famers. We contributed to the game. I think the Hall of Fame is what you bring to the table and being the best at what you do in the realm of basketball. I think we did that. 
typically like when you get guys who are predominantly starters you never really have this conversation but when it comes to six men with the exception of guys like Manu Ginobili it does create a more interesting question of whether or not they deserve to be in it so believable or buffoonery Lou Will and Jamal Crawford will be in the NBA Hall of Fame one day they might, they might not be first badly, but they're going to be in it. I mean, again, like, the Basketball Hall of Fame isn't nearly as hard to get into as, like, other sports. Because, like, you have guys that you will look up and it's like, why are they in the Hall of Fame? And they make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I could definitely see them in the Hall of Fame. I'll say believable as well. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be an immediate thing, but I do think that they deserve to be in it because – they're a part of that off the top of my, or at least of this generation. When I think of six men, I think of four people, Manu Ginobili, Lou Will, Jamal Crawford, Lamar Odom. And I think that there's a place for being that six man and they may be in a six man cool. And so because of that, I think that they'll make it eventually. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a player who low key is close to being six man status. And that's James Harden. Um, after the NBA did an inv- investigation into James Harden's uh, allegedly calling uh, Daryl Morley a liar, he was fined $100,000 for his recent comments. Um, for the league's purposes on the fine, Harden's comments uh, that he would never play for the organization, and that included Morey, played a bigger part in the fine, uh, reportedly because it touched on the league's rules concerning public trade demands. Obviously, the MBPA is fighting this. In a statement, they said, we respectfully disagree with the league's decision to discipline James Harden for uh, recent comments he's made, which we believe do not violate the rules about public trade demands we intend to file a grievance and have the matter heard by our arbitrator i'm never ever on the side of james harden but the question is believable or buffoonery the nba was wrong to find james harden and i'm calling buffoonery there is no reason why he should have got fined i'm asking i asked you this what the NBA is doing like I feel like if that was the reason behind it they would have said that like I think this is this is the most brazen he's ever been in terms of wanting out like saying at a camp or whatever it was Daryl Morey is a liar like don't get me wrong 
Like, if they would have said just the spectacle that you made, sure. But if that's the case, then I feel like more players should be reprimanded for throwing temper tantrums. Players do it all the time on their podcasts, when they do in the media. Like, they throw different temper tantrums and they bitch and moan about stuff, whether it be serious or not. And yet they're not subjected to fines. I just feel like... Again, I'm not a James Harden fan, and I never am on his side. But in this case, I just feel like this isn't even technically a trade demand. He just said he didn't want to play on a team that had Daryl Morey in it. He's not specifically saying trade me. He could just – they could – I'm sure they're going to try to skew it in a way of, well, he could be try, trying to call for the 76ers to get rid of Morey. That's not exactly a trade request. So no matter how you did it, he didn't publicly say trade me. Like, I would say this – him doing this is not as blatant as Dane. I'm not, no, what I'm saying, I'm not saying this is him saying, like, him saying trade me. I mean, he already made it known he wanted to be traded before this even happened. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is like, hey, bro, like, at some point, you gotta, like, you're a professional athlete. Like, I get you want to get traded. I get what you're saying, like, other people throw temper tantrums, but this is the thing. Nobody in the is of my knowledge, and I, I know I'm about to be 30 next week, and I've watched a lot of basketball and seen a lot of the stuff that's going on. In my 30 years of living, I've never seen nobody do some of the stuff that James Harden has done to get off a team. Like, he's quit on the team. Again, he came to the team completely out of shape. He's doing all this stuff about Darren Moore. Like, I'm not saying, like, they're reprimanding him for being like, oh, I want to get traded. No, you can demand a trade, but at some point it's like, hey, bro, be a professional athlete. Like, that's what I'm saying, like, in the case of Dane, Dane's doing it in a professional manner. Like, I'm not, like, nobody's mad at that. Like, some people saying Dane needs to get a little crazy to get the trade. But what I'm saying is, is, like, hey, you're a professional athlete. If you're out here, like, you can say I want to get traded, yada, yada, yada. But if you out here, like, harnessing the name of the owner of a team for something like if the owner said, it, cause, and it's also the reason behind it. Like, if there are more promises you were going to get traded quickly, and you couldn't get traded quickly because don't nobody want you. That's not Daryl Moore's fault. It's not Daryl Moore being a liar. It's Daryl Moore tries to get you traded, but don't nobody want you. Yeah. And you call, you call him a liar. So, it's like, he got to be like, am I... It's so, it has to be, like, at some point, Giants, it has to be a repercussion for your actions. This is my real point. Like I said, I, I do think he's throwing a temper tantrum. And, I like, we talked about this off air. I don't think that if this is the reason he's calling Daryl Morey a liar, I don't think it's on Daryl Morey. Like, nobody wants you, and we're not just going to give you away for pennies. So, I don't know what to tell you. But I just, I don't know. I've If Dame, I mean, not Dame, if James Harden would have got suspended for other stuff he's done in the past, I would be like, okay. But this one, I don't know, because then it's like, well, when do you draw the line if you're the NBA? Like, when is too much too much? And if it's not technically within the rules, like, I feel like you could fight it. So I don't think he should have got fined. I think he's acting like a baby, but I don't think he should have got fined for this. Other stuff he's done, sure. But this, nah. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Keep things in the Eastern Conference. One of the teams that we talked about maybe could try to make a move for James Harden is the Chicago Bulls. And while it doesn't look like that's happening, it looks like some a lot of other things will not be happening as well. Recently, uh, Lonzo Ball joined um, from the Point podcast with Trey Young to kind of discuss the potential of the Chicago Bulls roster that never came to be and said that um, – he said, I feel bad for the Bulls GMs just because I feel like they made the perfect team around me. For those of you who don't remember, the uh, Chicago Bulls are made up of the squad of DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucic, Alex Caruso is there as well. Um, and it seems like uh, with the yet another season of Lonzo being on the shelf, because he also said that he was not playing this year, we may never see those guys suit up again. So, believable or buffoonery, we will never see Lonzo Ball play with this variation of the Bulls roster again. I'm going to say believable, just because like you stated earlier, I think whether it be this season or maybe during the offseason, I don't think that this Bulls team is going to stay intact. Like, you have DeMar DeRozan, who it's crazy as he's gotten older, he's been a better player than he was when he was younger. Um, then you have Zach Levine, a guy that um, even his offseason has been in like trade requests from other teams looking into getting him. You have Nikola Vucevic, who they have talked about maybe getting like moving from him. I don't think that like when he if he's able to come back healthy, he's gonna be playing for the exact same team. Yeah, I don't think so either, which sucks um, because, I mean, like you said, like I think that team had a lot of potential to be solid, maybe make a second-round playoff run, maybe, at best. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen as well, especially because he's already said he's missing this entire season. So, and I just don't see them keeping this team together. All right, a couple more questions before we get out of here. Uh, Dwight Howard, a guy who has recently made some noise in the past couple of months or so comparing himself to Nikola Jokic and where he was in his prime. However, there is somebody in his corner hyping him up and what he was able to do in the league. His former head coach, Stan Van Gundy, said, you cannot make a case that Anthony Davis had a better career than Dwight Howard. That's absolutely ridiculous. He was also referencing that Anthony Davis had made the NBA 75 team and Dwight Howard didn't. So, believable or buffoonery, Dwight Howard has had a better career than Anthony Davis. I'm going to say believable. The only... The only notch that Anthony Davis has over Dwight Howard is he has one championship that, I mean, he played a, a very vital part in, but, like, Dwight Howard took a team that wasn't nearly as good as that Lakers team to the finals and ruined with the matchup that everybody wanted, which was LeBron versus Kobe in the finals. Not only that, but one could argue – this is no disrespect to Jameer Nelson. I like Jameer Nelson. I like that team that Orlando had. I don't think I don't think that that team was better than the best team that Anthony Davis had in New Orleans. Oh, no. Like Dwight Howard never had a running mate as good as uh Boogie ever, or at least when he was the team's main guy. He never really. Had, I I argue. I don't disagree with that either. And so because of that, I would say believable. Like, and I understand, like, he's Dwight Howard bounced around a lot. That's why, like, when you look at 
career, sure. Like, you can make an argument just because Dwight Howard had a lot of years when he was ineffective, especially that first run with the Lakers. But, like, we're talking, like, purely just prime. Yeah. Give me Dwight Howard. Multiple-time uh, defensive player of the year. Like you said, took his team to the finals against the Lakers. Even won a game, even though they shouldn't have. We should have swept them. So, yeah, no. I'm, um, I'm calling believable on that as well. All right, last but not least, we mentioned Kobe at the top. Happy birthday to the Black Mamba. Um, and it seems like since Kobe's retirement and unfortunate passing, the league has just always been trying to find out who is the next quote-unquote Kobe Bryant, who has the Mamba mentality, as we like to say. And in a recent interview, Andrew Iguodala chimed in on that conversation, saying that uh, Jimmy Butler was the player who possessed the Mamba mentality. He said he's probably the closest that I've seen to Kobe Bryant with that mentality of just, man, Jimmy will figure out a way for us to win. I've never seen a will like that. So, believable or buffoonery, Jimmy Butler is the closest player we have mentally to Kobe Bryant. I probably say yes. Uh, I mean, if you look at it from this past season, no one expected the Heat to make it to the finals, and he will come to the finals. I mean, even the bubble year, nobody yeah. expected them to do it then. So, oh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would say believable on that as well. I mean, there's never going to be another Kobe, but. I can't think of another player in the league who has literally put his team on their back the way that Jimmy Butler has. And this isn't to say that there's not great players. There's not to say that there aren't dogs in this league. But Jimmy Butler is just a bigger dog than everybody else, in my opinion. Um, but all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out theexport.net. I repeat, theexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Now, Ethan, can you believe that payback is next week? Like next Saturday? Nah, I can't. And it's weird because I'm, so I'm going to Raw this Monday. Uh, That'll be fun. So this should be fun to Raw, I guess, right before a pay per view. Might be good to see something go down, but I I definitely can't believe that it. it's like next week. Yeah, it feels like SummerSlam was what? It felt like the SummerSlam was like a week ago. I mean, it normally SummerSlam is supposed to be around this time anyway. Yeah, like later in August. But um, yeah, it is literally this Saturday. So y'all know what that means. Predictions are on the way. Before SummerSlam next, uh, I mean, not SummerSlam, before Payback next uh, Saturday. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then next week, we're wrapping up our uh, divisional breakdowns. We got the AFC and NFC West, which should be fun. And then we almost there. Next week is also the start of college football season. Week after that, we got the NFL. So it is a very, very exciting time for sports fans. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh. Go Tigers, Memphis Tigers, that is. Yeah. Go, go Titans, go Grizz. I'm not going to lie, I'm looking forward to going around. This will be my first live WWE event. I hope it's going to be something fun. Fun that happens, who knows. This will be your first one? Yeah, I've never been on. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so happy. It's usually a really, really, really good time. So I hope that Raw is good this week, especially with it being a pay-per-view. Hopefully they'll have a good card. I know it's supposed to be 
uh, Becky Lynch versus Zoe Stark in a Falls Count Anywhere match. So hopefully that has a few good spots for you. I'm not going to see another show until October when I go to Fastlane. I'm very much so looking forward to that. That'll be my first one since Royal Rumble of last year. And I'm excited. I, WWE shows, even if you're not a WWE fan, just go. They're so much fun to go to. Um, but, yeah, go Memphis Tigers. Go my LSU Tigers. Uh, please continue to support the X Report as well as my work with Colts.com. I do greatly appreciate it. And uh, football is back, baby.